welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Amerisaurus Bergen, where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. In this episode, a part of our biomarker testing series, we're joined by Dr. Manish Patel, Director of Drug Development for Florida Cancer Specialists, to talk about the reasons for biomarker testing in the community oncology setting. From understanding how biomarker testing fits into the treatment framework to understanding the importance of emerging biomarkers that may become targets for future treatment. Can you talk some more about why you consider it important to keep up with emerging trends, including biomarkers and testing technologies? Absolutely. It is certainly an important part of the practice of medical oncology. Just going back several years, there have been so many therapies approved, targeted therapies approved for certain mutations, and it's just evolving. It's getting That field is getting bigger and bigger in terms of targeted therapy, precision medicine, and there's a lot of clinical trials being looked at um, for certain targets, and you know there's going to be more and more therapies approved in the future. So just really trying to keep up with what the important targets that are being looked at in clinical trials around the world are important, what's being presented at major conferences because many of these therapies will be making it to our clinic and, and receiving FDA approval. So and the same thing with the testing technology, you kind of have to know, okay, this target is attractive, but how do you test for it? And so how are you going to order it when it comes out or is out? Is it IHC based testing? Is it next generation sequencing based testing? Fish? There's a lot of different ways of ordering certain biomarkers. So it's very important to keep up with that. Do you have any examples of how emerging biomarkers have impacted your clinical practice, either in general or if you have a specific example? Oh, sure. 100% of what I do is clinical research. And so the patients I see are all on trial. And these are cases that we discuss with our oncologists around the country. And then they get referred over for a trial potential. So I hear about many cases. And a lot of it is based on next generation sequencing, based on mutation-based testing. There are patients who are on certain therapies that are not effective, they're progressing, and a uh, mutation panel is ordered, and there is a target that was found, and we may have a trial for that patient here or elsewhere, and we put the patient on trial, and what's really rewarding is when you see the response. So we always look back and thankful that mutation testing was done for that patient, whether it's, you know, TMB score, tumor mutation burden scores that are high, microsatellite um, instability uh, testing mutation, uh, specific gene mutation testing that, that we find for certain trials. It's really rewarding when the patients respond. But even sometimes when you don't have a response, it's still valuable to know because it tells you about that patient's disease and it's worthwhile to know that that particular therapy was not a driving force, uh, a key driver in their cancer. So even whether a patient responds or not to a certain target, you still obtain pretty valuable information on that patient. There are several tumor agnostic therapies that have been approved in the last few years. Can you explain what a tumor agnostic treatment is and how it's different from more traditional treatments? So tumor agnostic treatment is basically treatment that is used to treat any type of cancer, right? And so it's not it's a traditional concept of things. What you're referring to is more disease-oriented, disease-specific therapies. Traditionally, we used to give drugs for certain cancers, right? Some cancer therapies were only indicated for this disease and not this disease. Whereas agnostic treatment, for example, NTREC is a mutation or MSI high or TMD patients where you can give certain therapies, whether it's NTREC inhibitors or for the microsatellite patient, 
and the microsatellite high patients or the TNB high patients, you can give immunotherapy. And so no matter what the disease type is. And how do these types of drug approvals affect your approach to biomarker testing? Anytime that there's treatments that are available, these are FDA approved drugs that influences clinicians' testing behavior, right? The more therapies that are available, the more testing that is done or should be done. So yeah, when you have a therapy that's available for a certain target, you should test for it. What are some up and coming biomarkers that are of interest, specifically those involved in ongoing clinical trials? I mean, it's a huge field right now in medical oncology based on the history of many therapies being approved for certain targets, more and more are being looked at in clinical research. So there are several out there, all going through various phases of uh, clinical trials and development. Obviously, everybody knows about the ones that have been approved, you know, whether it's ALK, Entrec, um, FGFR, ROS, but there's some interesting targets that are being looked at in trials. There's, there's hundreds. It's hard to go through that in this particular podcast, but you know, there's um, interesting information on NRG1 fusions, KRAS G12C. We know that there's approvals for KRAS G12C in, in certain cancers, but they're also being looked at in other cancers. So that target is becoming more and more attractive and popular. ATM mutations, certain resistance mutations are look interesting. ESR1s in the breast cancer pop world, even in the leukemia lymphoma world, you know, BTK resistant gene mutations, there are certain therapies that are focusing on those. So more to come on those in the next several. We also understand there are some new approaches in clinical trial design. Can you explain what basket and umbrella trials are and how are they different from each other? Basket trials involve targeted therapy that's that's being evaluated in multiple diseases, right? Whereas umbrella trials involve multiple targeted therapies for a single disease. And so what happens is you generally stratify into subgroups by molecular alterations. So the designs are a little different. What are the benefits of these new approaches? Oh, yeah, I think these approaches are very important and useful. It gets access to many therapies. So, for example, in the basket trials, you know, you're looking at many different disease types within one trial. So you don't have to open up several trials for those to look at one mutation. All these, these patients, many different patients for the different cancers can be eligible for a certain targeted therapy based on mutation-based testing. So it gets access to patients, it gets access to therapy for patients in a much uh, more efficient manner. And these are generally available in many different sites around the country, around the world. So certainly improved access to treatment for patients. The same with umbrella trials, right? You're looking at many different targets, uh, different therapies all at once for a single disease. And you can make comparisons that way. I think certainly it's, it's changed access to treatment for many patients. Have you had patients participate in a basket trial or umbrella trial? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely has changed the way we approach looking for clinical trials for patients. There's often an easier way to find certain treatments for patients. And I've had several patients benefit from those type of trials and and certainly have um, achieved responses on those type of drugs and on those trials. Do you approach testing for early stage versus advanced metastatic cases differently? I think we have to, you know, before you order something, you want to know what you're going to do with the results, right? And you don't want to just order something that goes for anything, whether it's just in medicine in general, and you want to order something that you're going to act on. 
And most of the current indication for these therapies are in the advanced um, setting, metastatic setting, refractory setting mainly. However, these are being studied earlier and earlier, and they could play a role in earlier lines of therapy. And so more to come on that from the clinical trials that are being conducted now, but it really depends on the disease type. The answer and the story can change based on the cancer that you're treating. But the earlier, the better. And um, if you have a patient with a certain disease type, it's very important to know what is possible, what mutations are out there, what therapies are out there, so you know what to test for. And if it's possible, know what clinical trials that are near your, your region or even available elsewhere that are attractive, because that could influence what you test. Are there any other emerging therapy trends it might be important for us to know about? You know... I think we know in the field that testing is important. So that was a big hurdle several years ago to get clinicians to increase the amount of testing that they're doing. So we know there's therapies out there. So I think that's pretty common now in terms of knowledge of just knowing um, that we should test as, as much as we can for, especially for our metastatic refractory patients. But I think one of the emerging trends is kind of figuring out how early to test these patients, right? So we, we know that for example, EGFR testing in the stage 1B non-small cell lung cancer patients and the adjuvant setting is very important, right? And so there's therapy that's indicated for that. A lot of these targets that we're using in the metastatic refractory setting are being used earlier and earlier. So testing it earlier and earlier is important. So just keeping track of where these targets are, what therapies are available and what setting, and therefore the testing for those is going to influence when you test them. And that's emerging. That's going to change over the next several years. Some of these therapies are being looked at earlier and earlier. And so kind of have to know when to test for those. So that's an important trend. I think the blood-based testing is certainly, is it, has certainly increased versus the past. And I think it'll continue to play a big role. So those are the big things. Since these clinical areas can change so rapidly, do you have any recommendations for how to keep up with trends? Yeah, it's certainly a great question. I think there's certainly a lot of literature out there. I, I do think that it's important for medical oncologists, any physician, really keep up on data. But in particular, medical oncologists, you know, a lot of what we do right now is based on targeted therapy. And so knowing what mutations are out there to test and what therapies are available for those mutations is very important, but also what's coming. And that's difficult. There's a lot going on in clinical research, but there's certainly some targets that are a lot further along and, and therapies that appear to be more successful. And so keeping up on the clinical research is very important, whether you're involved in the trials themselves or attending conferences, CMEs, reading your journals. There's a lot of different ways to access up and coming results on from trials. But yes, yeah, certainly important to do because once the therapy gets approved, you kind of want to have some familiarity with that target and that therapy. That's all for this episode of On Call. Subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next episode in this series drops. If you have any questions for today's guest or have a topic you would like to learn more about, email us at oncallgpo at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.